Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and before we turn to our episode here, just wanted to remind you that tomorrow, Friday, July 29th, 9.30 a.m., will be the Cemetery Kivrei Tzadikim Tour at the Mount Judah Cemetery in Queens. It should be a very nice tour. We're going to visit all the Kivrei Tzadikim together and tell their stories and go through a real nice journey of Jewish history, and I'm also really looking forward to meeting some of the listeners of Jewish History Soundbites in person. So if you haven't registered yet, and Friday tomorrow is convenient for you, then go ahead to YehudaGeber.com, go to my website, YehudaGeber.com, and register for tomorrow's tour. And I'm looking forward to seeing you. So again, register for the tour at YehudaGeber.com, and uh, we'll meet tomorrow at Mount Judah Cemetery in Queens. Thank you. A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare River. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist war the Brüder in America. So kaufen Schabes at the Skizar. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this is part two about the story of Rabbi Sir Zalman Meltzer. It left off in part one about his move in 1897 from Slabotka to Slutsk with the Yad HaChazaka, with 14 uh, great students of Slabotka to open this branch. And, um, I mean, so, some of them are, some of the Yad HaChazaka are quite famous uh, afterwards. Um, one of them is the altar of Slabotka's own son, Reb Lezer Yodel Finkel. Another one was Reb Ruven Katz, later on the uh, rabbi in Bayonne, New Jersey, and later on more famously as the rabbi of uh, Petach Tikva for many years, Rav Pesach Pruskin, who was later on the Mashgiach in Slutsk, and later on opened his own yeshiva, um, which in its last stop was in Kubrin, Rav Yosef Konvitz, who was, um, who was a rabbi in, in, in Newark, and uh, um, a son-in-law of the Ridbaz eventually, uh, who was you know, the rabbi of, of, of Slutsk, so he married the rabbi's daughter, and later on was the head of the Agudas Rabbanim, in uh, in uh, the United States, Rabbi Yitzchak Rubinstein, who was later on one of the leaders of Mizrahi and the uh, rabbi of the recognized rabbi of Vilna after all controversy, which I had an episode about. Also, there was um, Rabbi Alter Shmulevitz, a son-in-law of the Alter of Navardic, and um, of course the father of Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz. So he was one of the fourteen. Rabbi Lebel Plachinsky who is later on uh, a, um, a rabbi in Dvinsk. He was the son-in-law of the altar of Slabatka. Um, Rabbi Moshe Yamta Vachtfeigel, 
who was later on a rabbi in Montreal. His son was the famous um, Mashkiach of Lakewood, Reb Nossen Vachtfeigel. So you had quite a few prestigious names in this um, group of the Yad HaChazaka, who went with Rebbe Zalman from Slabatka to Slutsk. But I want to give more of the background about what comes together to create this environment where this branch of the yeshiva is open. So first of all, there was a rabbinic dispute in Slutsk. That was really the original catalyst of the whole story. And that was between the Ridbaz, Rabbi Yaakov David Velofsky, who was the rabbi of the town, and the son of the former rabbi of the town, um, a fellow by the name of Rabbi Meir Famer. And he was the son of the former rabbi of the town, Rabbi Yassel Famer, who was known as Rabbi Yassel Slutsker, who was an old, old student of Alajan from the time of Rabbi Chaim Valajaner. And the Ridbaz was considered more conservative, more traditional, while as Rabbi Meir Famer was considered more liberal, got along better with the more with the less traditional elements in the town, the more Haskala elements in the town. And there was this dispute about the rabbinate, about the leadership of the town. And the Ridbaz felt that he would be able to shore up some of his support and conservative base with a strong yeshiva in town. So he invites, he makes the initiative, he invites the altar of Slabatka to move the entire Slabatka yeshiva to Slutsk. And thereby he would assume a financial responsibility for it. And it was quite enticing to the altar because he was going through a financial difficulties at the time. Um, you know, the ups and downs of, Ovad, of Emil Ovadia Lachman's uh, um, in Berlin about his business, um, who was the main supporter of, of the altar. Um, so there, there was different, different financial challenges that the altar Slabatka was facing and he was... Uh, he was open to this idea that the Ridbaz had invited him. So there are really three things happening at once. Number one, this rabbinic dispute and a decision to bring the yeshiva. Number two, the financial difficulties facing the altar and the promise of the Ridbaz to assist. Number three, an emerging Musr dispute and revolt within the Slabatki yeshiva, which would eventually explode later on that year in 1897, and really across Lithuania, as and it became to be known as the Pulmus Hamusser, the the dispute about the Musser movement, the pro and the anti Musser factions, which eventually splits the the Slabatki Yeshiva, and many, many rabbis across Lithuania and Russia in that region at least took sides in this dispute. And all these things kind of come together and contributed to the specific circumstances which lead to the legendary exodus of the Yad HaChazaka from Slabatka with Rebbe Zalman Meltzer at the helm. Um, most of these 14 are the best and brightest. And and by by nature, generally that's how it went in Slabatka, they were, the, they were therefore also the least supportive and even somewhat opposed to the Musr of the altar. So Rebbe Zalman himself was chosen by the altar to lead this group and to leave Slabatka because of the brewing revolt in Slabatka, which had not yet reached the surface. It was still underneath, you know, you know, kind of like brewing and underneath the surface at the time. And he wanted the young, the altar wanted this young, charismatic, Lamdan Rosh Hashiva, who was not a supporter of the Musser movement of the altar. He wanted him out of the way, basically. Um, he knew that in the coming 
in the event of a dispute, he was not guaranteed the loyalty of Rabbi Sezal and Meltzer, since he would prefer to keep the more loyal Ramesh Matche Epstein around, the older brother-in-law, who seemed to be more loyal to the altar, and therefore Rabbi Sezalman was to be sent away to Slutsk. Slutsk, excuse me. Um, and uh, it was therefore on the altar Slabatka's part, it was a very strategic move. Um, Slutsk had a, when, when the yeshiva was reestablished there, it had a voluntary Musr component in the yeshiva. It was not officially a Musr yeshiva in its initial stage. It really only emerged as a Musr yeshiva much later. Rav Pesach Pruskin became the Mashgiach. It eventually became much more of a Musr yeshiva later on. Um, things in Slutsk didn't run so smoothly either. Um, the rabbinic dispute uh, between Rameir Famer and the, and the Ridbaz precluded the Ridbaz's ability to support the yeshiva because many of the financial support that he was counting on sided with the Rameir Famer in the dispute and eventually uh, the Ridbaz backed out of his... He wasn't able to guarantee support and therefore the Slobodki yeshiva in Slobodka did not, I mean, these 14 were supposed to be, you know, in, at one point it was thought that they would be the pioneers and eventually the rest of the yeshiva would follow. That did not happen. The rest of the yeshiva stayed in Slobodka. Not only that, but the entire financial responsibility of the yeshiva now falls on the young Rubis Zalman Meltzer's shoulders. He's 27 at the time. In desperation, he even de- desired to return to Slobodka, to leave Slutsk and to go back. Uh, eventually, he was able to find independent support and he on his own, guided the Slutsk Yeshiva to become an independent institution and a prestigious one. So it's an incredible story. Here he's sent away to Slutsk. He's guaranteed financial support from the locals. He ends up being on his own. He's a young in his 20s, out of, away from his family, um, who was the, you know, very supportive of him when he was there in Covenant Slobodka. And not only does he find financial support, but he's able to build Slutsk into a very impressive Torah institution um, and uh, on his own, basically uh, completely on his own. Um, and therefore, the it's a, a very impressive story. There's a lot going around, on around, but it's a very impressive story of what uh, Rabbi Zalman was, who he was, and what he was able to accomplish, even at this young age. Um, so the Slutsk Rabbinate and the Slutsk Yeshiva, therefore, served as catalysts of the emerging Musr dispute of the Pulmas Musr, and Rabbi Zalman was right in the middle of it all. <clears throat> the Ridbaz's troubles didn't end there, and he soon left for the United States to attempt to fund the publication of his commentary on the Rishalmi, and eventually he assumes a rabbinic post in Chicago, which was an unmitigated disaster, and one of the earliest episodes of Jewish History Soundbite several years ago was devoted to that story, um, so you can look that up. Um, and soon disillusioned, he the Ridbaz returns, returns to Slutsk, shortly before moving this time to Tzfas in, in Ottoman Palestine, um, and he spends his last years there. Uh, so upon his initial immigration to the United States, the Slutska community appoints Rabbi Zalman Meltzer as their rabbi. Um, so he's the re- local Rosh Yeshiva. He has really nothing much to do with the community except for fundraising. And now he's appointed by them to be to the rabbinical post. And so now he's wearing two hats. He has yeshiva responsibilities, and he's the rabbi of a very old, one of the oldest and most prestigious and significantly large Jewish communities in that area, in Belarus, in, in, in the, that area of Russia, what it was at the time. 
Um, and over, over the next two ensuing decades, well into the 1920s, under the communists, he refuses to leave the community, even as his yeshiva escapes across the border to the Second Polish Republic, where they reestablish themselves in Kletsk under the leadership of Rebissa Zalman's eventual son-in-law, Aaron Cutler. Rebissa Zalman does not join them. He stays with his community. His rabbinical duties uh, beckon him to not abandon his community until eventually in 1925 things got so bad and Rebbe Zaman, who was already in his mid-50s at the time, he was already a bit older, he decides to retire to Palestine and he leaves the Soviet Union and he comes to settle in Palestine. It is worth noting, just a historical curiosity, that Rebbe Zaman's alma mater was Volozhin, the Volozhin Yeshiva. The official name of the Volozhin Yeshiva was Eitzchaim. He was the Rosh Yeshiva of Slutsk, which is eventually Kletsk, which was also called Eitzchaim. And then he moves to Eretz Yisrael, and he becomes a Rosh Yeshiva there in Yerushalayim, and a Yeshiva that was Eitzchaim. So all the Yeshivas that he was affiliated with throughout his life were Eitzchaim. And it happens to be interesting that many Yeshivas throughout history, in many different areas, in the Sephardic world, the Ashkenazi world, in Europe, in America, in the United States, in, 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 in Israel, everywhere, Eitzchayim seems to be the most common yeshiva name out there. I once made a list of like 10 or 15 yeshivas that were called Eitzchayim. But either way, I digress. So the Slutsk, like I said, is an important town. There are a lot of famous rabbanim. The Ridvaz, like I said, Rabbi Yassela Slutsker. Um, in fact, Rabbi Yassela Slutsker, just uh, several years ago, uh, they restored his, his grave in, in, in Slutsk. The cemetery is still somewhat intact, and they recently re- rediscovered Rabbi Yassel was part of his matzeva, so they restored it. In fact, I was there, I was in Slutsk once in my life uh, with a group, and it was shortly after Rabbi Yassel Slutsk's cover was restored, so we got to see that with the group. That was the only time I was there. By the way, after Rabbi Zalman uh, leaves, so Rabbi Chatzkel Abramsky uh, becomes the rabbi of Slutsk under the communists. Um, and he's the last uh, rabbi of Slutsk. He's arrested by the Soviets and deported to Siberia until he's eventually uh, able to leave and moves to London. Um, that's the whole story of Chatzko Abramsky. He's also a fascinating personality, but he's the last, uh, last uh, Slutsk up. Um, the yeshiva in Slutsk grows and has teaches some very famous uh, alumni of the yeshiva. First of all, there's Rav Pesach Pruskin, who comes with the Yad and He eventually is the mashgiach there. He leaves soon afterwards to leave to open, excuse me, to open his own yeshiva in Shklov, later in Amtsislav. And after World War One, Amtsislav is on the other is in the Soviet Union, so he escapes across into Poland and he goes to his hometown of Kubrin, um, where he the Kubrina yeshiva um, is established. And Pesach Pruskin is one of the prominent Rashi yeshiva before his passing during the first few weeks of uh, World War Two. Um, one of the Talmidim of Slutsk at this time is Ramesha Feinstein, who lives not far from there and grows up not far from there in, in Luban, um, not far from Slutsk. Um, so he's, he's a student of Slutsk. Rav Shach, Rav Lezer Menachem Shach, is a student of Slutsk, of Rav Zalman, eventually marrying his niece. Rav Zalman makes the Shidduch. And one of the closest people that Rav Shach was with in his youth was Rav Zalman. Rav Zalman was almost like a father to Rav Shach. And Rav Shach would constantly speak about Rav Zalman and the impact that he had on him. And he even said that many of his leadership uh, traits and styles and, 
and and and, and you know he he learned from his great rebbe and uncle Rabbi Sazal Meltzer. So it's amazing that these great leaders, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Rabbi Shach, Rabbi Yisef Elio Henkin, the great Paisik in the United States, the head of Ezra's Torah, was a student of Slutsk of Rabbi Zalman. Um, you know, there are many others. Eventually, uh, Rabbi Aaron Cutler joins the faculty of the yeshiva when uh, when Rabbi uh, Zalman's daughter, Rabbi Sinchana Perel, marries uh, Rabbi Aaron Cutler. That's a whole story. Also, maybe we'll get to it. Um, so Rabbi Aaron Cutler joins the yeshiva and he becomes a rebbe there and eventually takes charge. There's another fascinating Talmud of Rabbi Zalman in Slutsk, a fellow by the name of Rabbi Sin Lichtman, a really interesting individual, who's eventually the rabbi of Beirut in Lebanon. And if there was... I think this is not so well known. There was an Ashkenazi community in Beirut, aside from the dominant community, which was Sephardic, and he's the rabbi initially of the Ashkenazi community. But eventually, um, with the passing of the Sephardic Rav, and his name escapes me at the second, but one day we'll do the history of Lebanese Jewry and Beirut Jewish community, and we'll get to this whole story also. So he's so popular, this Rabinsi and Lichtman, student of Rabbi Zalman, the Slutsker Litvak, um, so the Sephardic community appoints him as their rabbi as well, and he becomes essentially the chief rabbi of Beirut uh, for many, many years, well into the 1950s, when many Jews of Lebanon already immigrated to the state of Israel. He remains in Beirut, um, uh, the chief rabbi of the Jewish community of Lebanese Jews, this uh, Rabbi Sien Lichtman. It's an interesting story as well. I mentioned Rebruven Katz and the rest of the Yad HaZaka, Um and those are all in Slutsk, of course, uh, when when later on in life, when Rabbi Zalman becomes uh, the Rosh Hashiva in Eitzchayim in um, in in Yerushalayim, so he has a whole another slew of uh, prominent uh, Talmidim there: Shlomo Zalman Oyerbach, his son Rabbi Shmuel Oyerbach, Rabbi Chaim Yaakov Goldvich, Rabbi Shlomo Goren, Rabbi Avram Yaakov Zalaznik, um, Rabbi Israel Yaakov Fisher, Rabbi Tzchak Kolitz. Ram Shapiro, it's like uh, the Rashiva Merkaz Rav, and many others. He, he, I mean, there's so many future uh, leaders uh, become his, uh, are his Talmidim. Um, I mentioned the engagement of, of um, Rebetzin Chana Perel, Rebbe Sezalman's daughter, to Rebbe Aaron Cutler. Um, Rebbe Sezalman still maintained a relationship with the altar of Slabatka, despite their differences earlier. And um, when he was looking for a, daughter, a shidduch for his daughter, he asked the, the altar if there's anyone appropriate in, in Slabatka. And the altar recommended this, uh, this, the, this young genius in, uh, in Slabatka, Aral Asislavitzer, um, the, the future of Aaron Cutler. And they get engaged. And, um, and it's interesting, this, is, this, this story was the catalyst for the banning of the making of a gadol. A book, so I guess I can get banned if I say the story as well. But I'll say it anyway, uh, and hopefully I won't get banned. Um, they, they, Baron Cutler corresponded with his, with his, uh, with his bride to be, Rebetzin Khan of Peril, and he, he wrote, wrote, they wrote letters to each other, and one of them, Baron Cutler, included a, a suggested reading list of Russian literature that he thought would be a good idea for her to read, Pushkin and, and, and whoever else was the popular Russian authors at the time. And it was letters like these that that uh, that concerned Rabbis Zalman. So he asked the altar, what type of, uh, you know, modern uh, Bacher did you send me to be the son-in-law, to marry my daughter? He's sending letters and he's 
He's writing about Russian literature, and God forbid a boy in Slobodka should have read any outside literature. So Alter Slobodka, who had an incredibly, he was an amazing educator, and an incredible understanding, this keen understanding into his students and the, the vision that he had of their potential and their future, he said, don't worry, one day the entire world will sitter, sh- will shake from his frumkite. In other words, he's going to be so from one day that everyone, everyone's going to, will, 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 will uh, benefit from it, will live with it, will, will, will recognize it. We'll, we'll keep it as a mild, in mild terminology. So, um, which of course was born now to fruition. Rabbi Cutler was very, very from, and he, uh, and the, you know, definitely. Um, definitely the whole world knew about it. So the altar understood that at that time, and he reassured her, Mrs. Zalman, that don't worry, that he's writing letters to his, uh, his, his bride-to-be, and he's including in there books about Russian literature. It's going to be okay. He's going to be so from one day that everyone's going to suffer from it. So, you know, they, they, that's, uh, not suffer, you know, God forbid. Everyone's going to know about it. Um, so that's, that was the engagement. Eventually, of course, Rabbi Cutler marries in and becomes a rabbi in Slutsk and then becomes the Rashiva of Klet. So World War I arrives, and with it, the, then later in, in World War I, the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution at the end of uh, 1917, and Slutsk falls on the side of the border of the Bolsheviks of the emerging Soviet Union. Now, until that point, it was great. One of the, Slutsk was one of the few yeshivas who were never exiled during World War I. They stayed in Slutsk the entire time, unlike almost any other yeshiva, and they were able to continue to function. And this was due to its position further east, and thus quite distant from the front. And therefore they stayed put the whole World War I. Excuse me. So though they came out relatively unscathed, um, their geographical position in the east, uh, which had served beneficial, beneficial during World War I, was now to their detriment, as they found themselves in the Soviet Union and not in the Second Polish Republic, not an independent Poland. So after attempting to stay for several years, it soon became an untenable situation, and his son-in-law, Baron Cutler, who was now taking charge of the yeshiva at this point, um, he moves the yeshiva across the border into Poland. Baron is in his 30s at the time, and he smuggles the yeshiva in stages, really, uh, across the border into right across the border. The Kletsk and Slutsk are not far from each other at all. Today they're both in Belarus, and the distance is not uh, very far. But then it was crossing a border between the Soviet Union and Poland, and they reestablished themselves in Kletsk, and Rabbi Aaron Cutler is the Rosh Hashiva. Rabbi Zalman uh, stays there in Slutsk for a short time. Then he comes, he himself crosses into Poland, visits Kletsk, and really is on his way to Palestine. And he comes and settles down there in 1925 in the land of Israel, and, and he's... You know, in his mid-50s, he's appointed to become the Rosh Hashiva Yitzchayim. He does go back to Europe. He visits, um, when Rabarin builds the, uh, the Kletsk Yeshiva building, or lays the cornerstone, really, for the Kletsk Yeshiva building in 1929. Um, so there's this incredibly elaborate ceremony, um, which was for fundraising purposes. A lot of people were invited, and it was a very, very special event, a lot of... Uh, prominent uh, uh, guests came from all over Poland and even internationally, one of which was Rabbi Zalman Meltzer. And he came to see the Nachas. His son-in-law was building this great yeshiva, the yeshiva that he had started in Slutsk many years before. And he comes from Yerushalayim to participate in the event. Um, at this event, he meets Rabbi Zayudel Finkel, the Rosh Yeshiva of the Mir. 
and he mentions to Rablazi Yudel, um, who of course they were very close, right? He knew him in Slobatka, and, and Rablazi Yudel was one of the Yara Chazaka who came with him to Slutsk. Um, so he he advises Rablazi Yudel Finkel. He tell, tells him the son of of Rabbi Zalman's Rebbe, Rabbi Chaim Brisker from Valazhin. The son of Reb Chaim is Reb Velvala the Brisker Rav. And he says he's the Rav in Brisk, but he doesn't have a yeshiva. And it's too bad. He's, he's this incredible Talmud Chacham. He's a great Torah scholar. He has the Talmudic approach to study of his father, Reb Chaim, and no one's utilizing it. It's, 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 a, it's a waste. He's, 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 he's the diamond. He's, everyone should be flocking to the Brisker Rav. So he encouraged Rablaz Yudel to send some of his students from Mir to study by the Briskarov. And this starts a very interesting process where Rablaz Yudel sends the best and brightest of Mir to the Briskarov. He funds them, Rablaz Yudel funds them while they're by the Rav. The Briskarov delivers Shiurim to them, and they stay for periods of a year or two or three, and then they go back to Mir, and it enhances the Mir Yeshiva. And many, many students of the Mir. Uh, merited this uh, closeness to the Briskarov and getting his Talmudic style and studying with him and becoming close students of his, all because of Rabbi Zalman's uh, innocuous suggestion at the um, at the groundbreaking ceremony of Kletsk. See, you see how things come together. So, when he becomes the Rosh Hashiv of Eitz Chaim, he starts to lift up the level of the study in Eitz Chaim. Eitz Chaim had been this, you know, Yerushalmi Yeshiva, um, again, like, you know, a, a, I don't know, not, a, I'm not saying in a derogatory way, but kind of like, you know, com- compared to the great Lithuanian yeshivas of, of Poland and Lithuania, it was like, you know, a subpar. It was like a second or third rate yeshiva. It wasn't like, um, it wasn't a, that, that, that very special. It was like a local yeshiva for Yerushalmi students. Um, and then Mrs. Zalman, this world class, um, Torah leader from Valazhin, from Slutsk, comes there and he transforms Eitz Chaim into a top-notch yeshiva. He's the first one to really come and do that. Um, at this time, he has a relationship. He renews his relationship with Rav Kook. Um, Rav Ram and Kook was the Rav of Yerushalayim and the new yeshiv at the time of the British Mandate. And the two had been friends in Valazhin. So now he renews his relationship with his brother-in-law, Rav Meshamatcha Epstein, who is a, who's at this time in Hebron. Uh, but soon to be in Yerushalayim. Um, so they, you know, they're all coming back together. Um, and uh, he he uh, he lived in Nachlaot, as I mentioned in part one, the story with the Badichever. There's another story, actually, of him living in Nachlaot. Another time that his wife was uh, was away shopping, and Urbis Zalman, you know, he and his wife were both elderly, so they had a cleaning lady uh, come and, and, and clean their homes. So he once returned from Eitz Chaim, and his wife wasn't home, and he stood outside, like in the courtyard near his home. He started, you know, walking, pacing back and forth. And one of the neighbors asked him, "Is everything all right? Um, you know, can I help you?" He said, "No, um, I just I can't go into my home because um, when I went up to my door, I heard from outside the cleaning lady was singing to herself, and I know that if I come in, she's going to stop singing out of respect for me and my religious sensibilities of having a woman singing." So I know that it pleasures her. She's a you know a poor woman with a challenging life, and and she enjoys singing. And what right do I have to take away that pleasure? And what if I go in, she's going to stop. So I I choose not to go in so she can continue her singing. So he didn't go home. Another story from his years there is that Rabbi Zalman, like many 
Litvish rabbis at the time um, used, were very particular about using only machine matzahs the entire Pesach. Once the machine matzahs were invented, they saw that the kashras of machine matzah was was much better done by machine. It was much more kosher, much more perfect, the matzahs that came out. So many of the great Lit- Lithuanian uh, rabbis uh, uh, at the time, they switched to machine matzahs and they would not use hand matzahs anymore. B'chaim Rezegrajenski and many others as well. Service Zalman was one of those and he would buy the Seder, he would use machine matzahs only, he wouldn't use any of the, uh, any, any hand matzahs anymore. So, uh, so one time um, the story goes, and you have to verify these stories to find out if it's really true. Rabbi Elias Svei was a close student of Rabbi Cutler in Lakewood, and he was, spent some time studying in in the land of Israel, either by uh, either by I think in Hebron Yeshiva, and he was close at the time with the Briskarov. He used to study very often with the Briskarov. So, so he was he was privileged to be in the matzah, uh, bake matzahs with the Briskarov, and receive matzahs from the Briskarov for Pesach. So he had these special hand matzahs from the Briskarov with all the hidurim, the most stringencies and everything. He was special thin burnt matzahs and everything from the Briskarov. So where is he going to eat the Seder? So Rabaran Cutler, his Rebbe, said, why don't you go to my father-in-law, Rabbi Zalman, he'd be happy to host you for the Seder. So Rebellious Svei, supposedly, I don't even have to check if these stories are really true. These one of these yeshivish stories that made their rounds in the dormitories back when I was a, you know, a student, and uh, I never bothered checking to see if they're actually true or not. And uh, and and he proudly told her, Mrs. Zalman, you don't have to worry about my matzahs because I'll, I have matzahs from the Briskarov, and uh, and I'm going to be bringing my own matzahs. So Mrs. Zalman, uh, in in jest, he obviously wasn't serious. He said, "Oh, you're bringing hand matzahs. Well, we we're very particular about eating machine matzahs here, so you can, you know, eat eat. Make sure to eat carefully. You don't 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 make a chametz on my kalim. You know, don't uh, keep away from our uh, with your hand matzahs. We're we're very makpid on machine matzahs in our house. Whatever. Either way, um, in the in the 1940s during the war, Blaziotel Finkel arrives as a refugee in the land of Israel." And he plans on restarting the Mir Yeshiva. 1944, the middle of the war. How's he starting the Mir Yeshiva? Where is he getting any students from? The Mir Yeshiva is in Shanghai. How's he supposed to start? No problem. Rabbi Zalman realizes that the Mir is going to be the, you know, the, the, soon, the senior Yeshiva, the, the great Yeshiva. He says the Eitz Chaim will feed into the Mir. I'll send my best students from Eitz Chaim to go to the Mir. So he sends the top 10 students of his, Reb Chaim Brim, and Reb Nata Freind, and, and Reb Meshe Salant, and, uh, and Reb Meshe Landau, and Reb, uh, Reb Mendel Atik, and uh, um, I, I once knew every single one of the 10. Several of them I spoke to personally and interviewed them about it. Um, of course, now in my old age, I don't remember some of the names, so um, I won't mention every single one of the ten. But he sends them, he sent nine actually, one of them came from Tyre of the Yira, Bechil Zilberberg, the long-time Balkaire of the Mir Yeshiva. But he, he, Rabbi Zalman starts off the Mir. So here again, uh, uh, people aren't familiar with it, but Rabbi Zalman Meltzer is responsible not only for getting Rabbi Zilberberg to send his Mir students in Europe, in Poland, to go to the Briskarov, but when the Mir is established in in Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Zalman is the one who does it because he sends his students from Eitzchayim to the best ones to go uh, establish the mir. Um, 
with the founding you know, post the Holocaust and the founding of the state of Israel in 1948, so the Agudas Yisrael of of uh, of uh, the state of Israel, you know, starts becoming a political party in the Knesset. Rabbi Zalman Meltzer is appointed the head of the Mayatzis Gedolei Atayra. See, he's one of the leaders of the Torah world, the emerging Torah world in the early years of the state. He's up there with the Briskarov and the Chazanish at this time, but he's in a much more official capacity, affiliated officially with Agudas Yisrael and the Mayatzis. So, for some reason, more famously, the Briskarov and the Chazanish were involved, but in fact, Rabbi Zalman was very much uh, on a day-to-day level involved at that time as the head of the Mayatzis, Gedele HaTayra, uh, of, of, uh, of the Aguda and in the early years of deciding about the elections and joining the government, the early years of the great uh, questions of Gius Banais, of the, the demonstrations about drafting uh, girls into the army. Um, he takes national leadership upon himself when he's in his 80s. Um, during the 1940s, his grandson of Schneer lives with him. Um, his other children, of course, lived with him already in, in the land of Israel. Um, I'll get to some of his children uh, sooner. Bitzak Meir ben Menachem was a son-in-law of his, who was a Talmud of the Altar of Slabatka, a student of Hebron. He was originally named Pachiner, but like many of the Slabatka students in Hebron, he Hebraicized their name. It was very in style in those days. You know, Meishe Hebroini did it to Hebroini, or Rav Baruch Mordechai and Rebitzlik Ezrachi's father did it to Ezrachi, and many others as well. So Rav Yitzhak Meir Pachiner, Pachiner switched his name to Ben Menachem. And so he marries the daughter of Rebitzlik Zalman as well. Um, Rizalman had his son, Reb Feivel Meltzer, uh, Shaga Feivel, right, married and named for his grandfather, Shaga Feivel Frank. Of course, he founds the Kletzk Yeshiva, named for Kletzk. It was actually a branch of Kletzk. He founds it when Kletzk still exists in Poland, and it's considered a branch of the Kletzk Yeshiva in Poland. It was called Kletzk Hadarom, because Israel, Palestine at the time, is south of Poland. And it is in Rehovo, it is in Pardes Chano, it is in Rehovo, uh, Rip Schneer, uh, Cutler, during his years in the 1940s, when he was there, was affiliated with this Kletzka Darom as well. Um, Rabbi ben Menachem was becoming a Rav in Petach Tikva, so Rabbi Zalman's family is emerging as in the Torah leadership of the Yishuv as well. Um, Rabbi Zalman, um, he, he, uh, he's, you know, he's considered considerably more moderate or, or liberal than either his son-in-law, Ramaran Cutler, or in many of the other leaders of his day, such as the Brisker Rav, he was older than the Briskarov, yet he had been, at the same time, he had been friends in Valazhin, like I mentioned in part one, with Rav Cook, with Rav Zeligrovin Bengis. Um, he was very close with his first cousin, Rav Pesach Frank, who was not affiliated with the Agura, and he was one of the founders of the Rabbanut. So he was in the middle of everything. He was in between all worlds and really got along with everyone. He was kind of like the old Litta, the old school, the moderate old, old Litvish school. Another interesting point is that he plays a crucial role in the development of the Torah world in Eretz Yisrael. He's the first world-class Rosh Hashiva to head Um He lifted the level. He starts off the mir. Um, he presumably had a minimal influence on other yeshivas, such as Hebron or Merkaz Arav, just because of his presence in Nachlaud in that area, and, 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 and the fact that yeshiva students would come and speak to him as the senior scholar in town. He headed the Agudas Yisrael. He headed the Avada yeshivas, all during the crucial early years of the state of Israel. Um, and he sets the pace for policy, public policy, of the religious community in several areas. As far as I know, much of this is overlooked. Um, his son-in-law, Aaron Cutler, deservedly 
gets a lot of credit for what he accomplished in the American Torah world, but it seems that Rebbe Zalman, what he accomplished in the Israel Torah world, has been a bit overshadowed. Um, and also, not only in Eretz Yisrael, in, 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 in Europe as well, what he did, what he did in pre-war Europe, um, in Mir, the Briskarov, in Slutsk, and other places. As an interesting postscript, Rebaran Kotler officially succeeded his illustrious father-in-law as the Rosh Hashiv of Eitz Chaim, and on Rebaran's frequent visits to Israel, he'd actually deliver regular shiurim in the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva. Um, so, I mentioned most of his family. Um, I'm sorry, did I, I think I, I think I said his son's name was Rebfeivel Meltzer, excuse me, that was his grandson. Um, his grandson was a is, I mean, he could be still alive even, um, he's Feivel Meltzer, he's a uh, um, he has Tanakh, he's you know, a famous personality. Um, his Zalman's son was Reb Tzvi Yehuda Meltzer. Got mixed up there. And he was the rabbi of Rehovot and the founder of Kletzk Hadarom. His son-in-law was Reb Yehuda Amital, uh, the Rosh Yeshiva of Haaretzion in the Gush. And um, there's another grandson, Reb Yedal Meltzer, who wrote a biography of his grandfather, Derech Eitzchayim. Um, Rabbi Sakmeir ben Menachem, the the uh, the Rav of Petach Tikva that I mentioned, who was Rabbi Zalman's son-in-law, his son-in-law is, is Rabbi Yezer Piltz, the current Rosh Hashiva of Tifrach. Um, so he has he had quite a quite a family uh, through all of his children. I'd like to end off with uh, one last story about Rabbi Zalman, which I think really brings out who Rabbi Zalman was, and also in general the great people that we sometimes talk about in in. Uh, in overly positive ways, because they were truly great, and this story brings it out. Um, one time, Rabbi Zalman was talking when he was still Rosh Hashiva in Slutsk. He was he met Rabbi Baruch Ber, his great dear friend from Valaj and Rabbi Ber Leibovich, and they were speaking and learning together. And they had a dispute in interpretation of a certain Rambam and what the correct explanation is. And Rabbi Baruch Ber suggested his explanation, and Rabbi Zalman suggested his explanation. Subsequently, Rebarch Ber had a chance to deliver a shear on that topic in Kamenitz, or wherever the yeshiva still was at the time, probably in Slabatka, um, and and he cites that he and his friend Rebbe Zalman had two different explanations. And then Rebarch Ber says something astounding. He said he relates his explanation, and then he relates his friend Rebbe Zalman's explanation, and then he says. I believe that my friend Rabbi Zalman's interpretation is the more correct one. And you know how I know that? It's because he told me so. And I think that says it all. There was no doubt in Rabbi Achber's mind that Rabbi Zalman wouldn't say that he's correct just because of his own pride or honor or ego. It only would make sense that someone like Rabbi Zalman would state with a certainty, my shot is the more correct one if it's actually true if there's an objective truth to it, that he truly believes that this is the more MS, this is the more correct one. There is no ego involved. And Rebbe Ber, being that he knew Rebbe Sazalman well, he believed it. He said, if it's true, if it's more the more correct one, then that must be so. And he wasn't afraid to say that. And he gets up and he says, his is the more correct one, not mine. And that's the type of people that we try to speak about here on Jewish History Soundbites. So this is Yehudi Gabra of Jewish History Soundbites. 
You can reach me at yehudatudegever.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoyed.